Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between it. You're getting ready to go back to the hospital again soon. I am getting ready to go to the hospital. And it made me think of something that uh, was happening when I was in the hospital. Yes. When I was more... Well, actually, I guess it just probably happened the whole time. It just happened more or less, depending on how able I was to be aware of things outside of pain and survival. Yes. So, Trying not to let your intestines kill you can take up a good deal of your mental energy and not leave much left for dysphoria. It fits in anyway. It does. So I noted. What was happening is, I don't, well, I first of all, I don't know who in the hospital knows I'm trans or not, and if I need to be out, and it's not a great time for advocacy for trans people when you're in that kind of shape anyway, so it's not like, hey, look at me, I'm a trans guy. Yeah, um, but it is on your medical records, and if anyone has cause to look at prior diagnoses, they will see right. that it says transsexualism and prior procedures shows gender confirmation or gender reassignment something. And that is at that hospital that I was at. Yes. It's in my records. Yet, you know, you have nurses and nursing assistants. I yes. can't remember exactly what their initials after their name were. Right. Coming and saying, put this ice under this armpit and this ice on your scrotum and, and handing me the urinal all the time, which I can't use because STPs don't work when you're laying down. STPs require gravity assist. Yes. And then you have to not be in the shape I was in and the shape I expect to be in after a surgery. Yes. To use anything like that. Correct. I did manage to get, get it done at the ER just because I knew I couldn't get farther than the gurney that I was on. I could sit up in the edge of it and get them a urine sample. And yes. That might be the last time that I could do something like that. Correct. But... Knowing that I couldn't get very far and knowing that that needed to be done was what drove that to happen. Yeah. But to do it on a regular basis every time I need the restroom. No, it can't, it can't be done that way. You are correct. Especially since dealing with the sepsis, I was in more and more pain. And so I was less and less able to stand at all or even have my legs down if I was sitting. They had to be up. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they hand me the urine a lot. I say, no, I can't pee laying down. I'm going to go to the restroom. Mm -hmm. And I probably mentioned this before, but I didn't mind that too much because I know going back and forth is good for you. Getting up and walking around, getting your muscles moving, making your blood flow. If they're okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Yes. Of course, they're also okay with things like, here's your liquid, clear liquid diet, and they give you a Sprite, which I do not understand because I never, I never drink soda. So I'm never like, hey, let me have a couple of sugar with bubbles in it, you know? No, I mean, but it will improve your sugar. And for some people of some body types, um, bubbles do improve your digestion. Well, I made them clarify first. I say, are you sure I can have this? Yes. And I did drink a little bit of it just to see if, you know, anything would help at that point. Right. That's why the emergency is a carbonated beverage because... Yeah. Well, they then took the food away anyway, so... Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't care. <laughs> so being in the hospital brought to my attention that there's a lot of focus on... All your bits and pieces, you know, and some of mine are different than most men because I'm a trans guy. And so I started to feel kind of like the, the best way I can describe it is naked without my dick. Like I, I do have a tiny little, 
you know, I have a micro phallus type thing, but it's not. Yes. It's not what they would recognize as. It, the urethra doesn't go through it. No, it doesn't. So it's not functional for urinating that way. And there's a lot of assumptions that they make when they have to interact with your body that are just not right. And those assumptions could very easily highlight in your brain, damn it, my body's not right. Right. And sort of like dealing with the dick patrol at our house, but there's a lot of focus on your body and your health because you're in the hospital very sick and your movements are limited. And so that's why they're giving me the urinal. And that's why they're, when they're needing to cool me down. Telling you to put ice on your scrotum. Yes. Which I texted you. And, you did. And said, you, you. And I said, I think you know what to do. I, I do. I just wanted to share. It made me laugh. Mm-hmm. I wanted to share my laughter. That's great. Which was mostly inside my head. Now, elaborate on Dick Patrol. It's been a while since we've discussed what exactly that refers to. We've referenced it a few times. but right. so, so the Dick Patrol is our number two child. He is very focused on what type of man am I? Mm-hmm. And do I have everything that you know he has or men have? And m- trying to make sure that I don't have any wrong parts. Because he can't, he can't quite handle that. He's very curious about genitalia in general and has sort of toned that down as he's realized the social ineptitude that is evidenced by expressing it quite so often as he used to. He might be four going on five. He might be four going on five now as yeah. he just turned 10. Yeah. His cognitive age might be approaching five. And, and that, having that understanding. Yes. Because he does do a lot less of it. But he does have that that focus. And so he will ask questions like he'll point at my crotch and say, what is that? Because there's a lump there, you know, like in my pants. And he wants to know, like, is that your dick? Basically. <laughs> you know? So yes. that's why I call him the dick patrol. Yes. Yeah. He wants to see what's going on. It's really none of his business, but he wants to see, you know. He's very curious as a toddler preschooler is want to be. Yes. But he's 10, so it's kind of disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially as he's going to be approaching puberty soon. And because he is a big mouth. Oh, yeah. So that's also... So he would go around telling everybody what he saw in your pants or didn't see or... Uh, Who knows what he'd do. I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out. (laughs) No. So I often make sure that I have enough privacy when I'm getting dressed. Mm -hmm. Often. I do it every time. I make sure I have enough privacy... When I'm getting dressed. Yes. When I'm changing clothes, anything like that, in and out of the shower, privacy from the dick patrol. Yes. Because he he won't be able to process that and it'll be a problem for everybody. Yes, it will. And my scoop is I haven't had any lower surgery to make my urethra go the right way or, you know, have the equipment I have inside my brain. As, my brain as I once called for, it, your psychic balls. Yes, my psychic balls. <laughs> are not physiologically evident. Correct. So I, I haven't had surgery. And a lot of trans guys don't have surgery. Some of them don't want it. Some of them can't access it financially or otherwise. Right. Like don't have a doctor near them that could do it. And I can probably get around all of those things. But my problem is I'm bad at surgery. Your body shuts down. A lot of people, when they get surgery, that area of the body will need to recover. Your whole body will shut down to recover the one part that has been cut upon, changed around. Yes. As evidenced by how long it took me to recover from top surgery. 
Yes. My chest surgery took forever. By forever, we mean like a couple of years. Yes. Yeah. You still have some nerve problems through your shoulder joint. Yes. And, and my left side of my chest. Yes. Yeah. And yet now I have to have a surgery. I have On to your have, intestines. Yes. Which are just above, forgive me, your uterus. True. Didn't think about that. Wonder why. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Cousin Vinny was asking us, and we had a chance to sit down and talk with them at a microphone as well, which will be coming out after this one, either the next one episode or the next two episodes. That episode will be coming out while you're in the hospital so that we have some cover but they were asking, so what are they going to do about this peeing problem while you can't move your midsection because you just had your intestines resectioned? I said, I don't know. I need to find that out. And of course, I didn't feel better at all until this week, the last few days, really. C. diff will do that to you. Yes. So I didn't have it on the top of my agenda. You know, there were the other agendas previously of get from the bed to the bathroom, Convince somebody to get the thing from the store while I've, or, you know, because I, I think about how I couldn't get there. And, when you were recovering, uh, yeah. yeah, everything was hard. And so that was where all your energy was going. Right. And then last week I did go to work a couple hours and a couple days. Yeah. And I was exhausted from that drive to work because I hadn't driven anywhere. Right. Sit there for a while and drive home. There was no you're, energy You're not for using that. your standing desk right now? I did use it a little bit, but I can sit down and check all my mail on my work phone. Right. It's easier. Yeah. So it, it was on my agenda to address it, but it was as we get closer to surgery, which happens to be now. Yes, surgery is coming up in a week and a half. Right. So I have a pre-admin at the hospital uh, in a couple of days, mm -hmm. and I can ask them a lot of questions. Yes, you can. And then if I don't have all the answers I need... I can then call the surgeon's office and talk to the MA there. Yes. Because my last conversation with him was, help, I'm dying. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there In is In so that. many words. Now, is this surgeon the same? Is it? It's not the proctologist, is it? It is yes. the proctologist. So this proctologist has actually interacted with your rear end and your nether bits and has at least seen them while he was managing the other parts of you. Yes, but... I don't know how much of that is noticeable when, when you have hemorrhoids and somebody's going to poke at them, you're like kind of clamped together back there. Okay. Yeah. So fair. I don't know. And then there's all the swelled hemorrhoids in the way. I have no idea, but I need to find out is the point. Like, yeah. Does he know I'm trans and how does that affect my needs during the surgery? Yes. So. So that also then highlights to me my naked feeling that I get about my equipment being wrong. And it touches a few areas in that it's wrong because that's not how it is in my brain. Yes. Then it's also wrong because as a man, I know how men are. And as somebody once told me, who is a non, a gender nonconforming person said, when they dealt with men as a female body person who was more male presenting, they felt like half the men wanted to kill them and the other half wanted to fuck them. And so those were the categories they mostly felt like they dealt with. And so yeah. I have that awareness of vulnerability, which is the awareness I grew up with in a female body, knowing that I am in danger at all times of being assaulted just because I'm in this body. Yeah. So there's that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's these other 
tendrils that go out uh, that, you know, I, I think probably other trans people have of how does that look to other people that I'm a man, but don't have as um, that guy who was interviewing Jeffrey in, in the YouTube video yes. said, your manhood. Oh, gosh. So h- how people think about that. Uh-huh. And then going back to, oh, well, this is the deal. And then kind of doing it again. And that's dysphoria. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And it only recently occurred to you that that's exactly what it was because you were just like, I have this bad feeling and it's kind of a naked feeling and it's kind of a wrong feeling and it's, oh. Oh, yeah, that's dysphoria. (laughs) Yeah. And, And the hospital stuff highlights it for me. That moment of realization that, oh, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of when I had to edit the male privilege episode, and I was a bitch for the following week, and I will own that. The- I- I'm shaking my head very carefully, <laughs> nodding up nodding, and down, nodding yes. up and down. I know I get the shaking and the nodding wrong. <laughs> you do. It's Whatever. okay. <laughs> but it was the first time that I realized that a lot of these things were gendered things, and a lot of the discomfort that I had had was about my gender and not just about being socially awkward. Right. And so like, while I was trying to figure that shit out, I was just prickly. Yes, you were. But it's understandable. Once you but you you, weren't saying what was going on. So I didn't know. No, I wasn't. Because I think a lot of it, I didn't really realize what was going on. And I still think I'm still figuring some of it out. Right. All I knew is we had talked about male privilege and you were mad. (laughs) And part of it was the gender thing and the male privilege thing, like coming to the realization that a lot of the situations in my life that I had thought were just being socially awkward were actually gender problems. And then realizing that my discomfort with a lot of these situations may have not just been my discomfort with my place in the world, but it may have been related to dysphoria. It may have been related to discomfort in my body or in my social gender or all these other things. And all of these things are still things that I'm processing through, Mm -hmm. which a lot of partners of trans people end up processing through. Like they had never thought about these things before. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't want to say it's a common thing, but it's not uncommon to see one partner transition and then the other one go right after. We have seen some of that. Yes, we have. Mm -hmm. But I think that's interesting that you do recognize now that these situations can be triggers for dysphoria, can increase your dysphoria as you have to deal with the genderedness of the situation. Right. I've been used to all my life adjusting to the circumstance I'm dealing with, and it changes. I've heard other people say this, and I had a, the therapist I had seen at the beginning of my transition, who was helping to make sure my transition happened, said a lot of folks find that transitioning kind of just tightens the lid, which I couldn't figure out what she was meaning, but more pressure is what I think she was saying. Yes. And I've also seen a number of statistics about how people, when they first come out as trans, start to experience more dysphoria. Because whereas previously there had been this, it's like turning it from a spotlight to a laser focus. Mm -hmm. You know, you had this generalized sense of something being wrong, but now you have a focus for what could be wrong and how it could get fixed, but it's not fixed yet. And you don't start a fire with a spotlight, but you can start a fire with a laser. Yeah. 
Often the question in these situations is, what do you do about it? I don't know that there's much to do about it. Well, I think you've already said what you do is you make sure that you bring these things up at your pre-admit appointment for the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then you call the surgeon to confirm the answers that the hospital gave you Mm -hmm. and ask any follow-up questions that might be pertinent. And those are the practical things to do and not get distracted by the feeling of dysphoria or... Oh, you meant what to do about the dysphoria. See, that's exactly what I do is I distract myself from the emotions by doing the brain things. Right. And it's okay to just... It's okay to feel like that. I mean, that doesn't mean it feels nice. It just Everyone has negative feelings and it's okay to have them I, sometimes. I can't, you know, make them stop, but I can say, yeah, okay, I don't like that and not fight with them. Right. By trying to make them stop or go away. Yeah, it's okay to have feelings. And it's okay to acknowledge them and go around them. Yeah. They're, if they're not going to go away, you know, I mean, you can't stop yourself from having your feelings. There was a metaphor I read once in a educational psychology book um, referencing William Glasser, you know, and it tells you how old the the book was that it referenced the metaphor of a car and the drive wheels are in the back and the steering wheels are in the front Mm -hmm. and your drive wheels are your physiology and your emotions. And those things are going to drive you forward and propel you into action regardless of how you're steering, how, yes. And you have the responsibility then to steer with the front wheels being your thoughts, you know, your self-talk and your conscious direction of your thinking processes and your actions. And you can steer these things, but if your physiology and your emotions are driving you, then you're going to go somewhere and you're going to do something. Yes, something will happen. So at this point, my solution would be focus on all the to-dos and then you can kind of shelf the uncomfortable feelings, but that's not always what works for you. Well, yeah, I I need to remember to do all the practical things. That's Mm -hmm. how I have to do it. Because I can get distracted by the fact that that thing is on the shelf. Mm. And it's just going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I often do at least find it interesting to see what will happen. Yes. Because, you know, there's this microphone here. So we can yes, tell, tell so all we about it. Yes, and get a chance to record one more episode before you go into the hospital based on how that goes. We shall see. Yeah. So do you have any other examples of dysphoria with the medical community or realizing that something was dysphoria after you had been experiencing the discomfort or the... That's such a long question you have there. (laughs) No, actually don't. Okay. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Dysphoria with medicos. No. Dysphoria that you didn't realize was dysphoria. No. Not that I can think of. Okay. Yeah, not that I can think of. (laughs) But I bet there's, there's more to come. I bet. Because I have that upcoming focus to address with the doctor. All right. So is that it, Tal? I think that's it for now. All right. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. 
If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. Right. I always have to poke it a whole bunch of times. I'm sorry. If you just push this button, it does it. Okay. I'll try to remember Mm. that. I'm shaking my head very carefully. (laughs) Nodding up and down, yes. Nodding up and down. I know. I get the shaking and the nodding wrong. (laughs) You do. It's okay. Uh, You get the pillows and towels wrong. I do. I call pillows towels and I call towels pillows all the time. Yes. I don't know why. The words go... uh, Anyway... I don't know if it's related to my auditory perception disorder or not, Mm -hmm. but...